This is a Radio.com original. This is Coronavirus Daily World on Pause. I'm Charles Feldman from the KNX Radio.com studios in Los Angeles. And I'm Mike Simpson. More hopeful signs as we fight COVID-19. AstraZeneca, latest drug maker with positive news on a vaccine. That makes three now. And the FDA has issued another emergency use authorization for a treatment to help people with COVID. Millions of Americans sticking to those Thanksgiving travel plans to spice a surge in cases. If you do go, advice from one health expert, stuff the turkey, but don't stuff your Thanksgiving dinner table. As if the coronavirus isn't scary enough, millions of Americans are facing a scary thought of not being able to pay their bills with federal unemployment benefits set to run out right after Christmas. And Rockefeller Center, the ice skating rink, it's still going to happen. Visitors are going to come back, but some changes. Let's first begin with positive news in the quest for a coronavirus vaccine. AstraZeneca says its COVID-19 vaccine could be up to 90 percent effective in preventing the disease. Now, that's the third drug maker to report at least 90 percent effectiveness in its vaccine, Moderna and Pfizer uh, Pfizer being the others. Dr. William Schaffner with us, professor of preventative medicine, infectious diseases at Vanderbilt. He just got out of a special meeting with the CDC's advisory committee on immunization practices. Uh, Doctor, let's start there. How'd that go? Well, they didn't take a formal vote. But they did uh, express a preference for the following uh, prioritization scheme. The first is healthcare workers, along with people in nursing homes. And then after that, essential workers. The ethical aspects of that were very, very important equity, because a lot of those people are people of color who work in un- underserved communities that are disproportionately hit. And after them will come people age 65 and older and others who are at high risk of severe disease. So I think we have the program kind of laid out now. We're just waiting for the vaccine. Well, provided that the vaccine is available, say, mid-December, how quickly do we go from from one phase from the healthcare workers over to the next phase to the 65? How quickly does all that happen? Well, it doesn't happen overnight, and that was much discussed today because it may be that in some parts of the country, a lot of healthcare workers want it, other parts, not so many. When can we uh, kind of transition from one group to another? Those details still working out, but this will all take kind of weeks, and before the average healthy citizen is ready to get the vaccine, I suspect it'll be the middle of the spring, but we have a lot of people to vaccinate before then. It's looking better than it did, especially a few months ago, right? Because we have hit now maybe on two or AstraZeneca today, uh, three potential vaccines that by the research they have in so far work better than we thought they would. No kidding. We're all surprised. I'm delighted. And the more the merrier, because we've got 330 million people in the United States to vaccinate. And it usually takes two doses. So that's uh, 660 million doses of vaccine. It'll take a while to get all that into arms. Let me let me ask you a question about uh, all these trials, because all of these uh, vaccinations, of course, had tens of thousands of people enrolled in them. And I've mentioned this on, on the air. I've been in the I am in the Pfizer vaccine trial. What happens to all the people who got the placebo uh, since I don't know and nobody does? What happens to all of those people, all of us, who got the placebo? 
Well, good for you. That's a, thanks for participating, and that's an excellent question. This committee doesn't resolve that, but that will be communicated to you by the company when the vaccine becomes generally available. What I anticipate happening is that those people who are in the trial, who are, for example, healthcare workers and in the first group, they may be offered the vaccine. Others, as their groups become available, they'll be offered the vaccine. Because one of the things these trials would still like to do is follow people for a longer period of time until we can see safety issues extending out over time. Let's talk about the AstraZeneca uh, vaccine. This has a pretty good efficacy rate so far, and it doesn't come with some of the difficulties that Pfizer does. It doesn't need to be like the ultimate cold storage. <laughs> that's, a great, that's exactly right. Uh, that vaccine and the Moderna vaccine pretty much look like vaccines that could be more widely distributed to doctors' offices, clinics, pharmacies, so we can bring the vaccine closer to the people and get more people vaccinated sooner by a healthcare provider with whom they're comfortable and who can give them good advice really at the local level. And so we're really looking forward to that. I want to also see if we can clarify for people, when these companies say that a vaccine has an efficacy of 90% or 94%, 95%, that doesn't necessarily mean, does it, that that's its effectiveness in the real world? Because, you know, it's one thing to give vaccinations to a trial sample of people, and it's another thing to give it to everybody. Yes, uh, that usually is the case. The real-world effectiveness is a little lower than what you see in the trials, but these vaccines seem to be very, very good, and we would anticipate when we see all the data that they're going to be working very well in older people, and, you know, older people usually don't respond as well, so I'm pretty interested in that. Now, we still have a lot to learn. We don't know anything about children yet, those trials are just beginning. We don't know about pregnant women and people who are immunocompromised. Studies haven't been done in those subpopulations yet. So we have more to learn, but these are kind of phase two questions. Are we still waiting on another? There were a bunch of candidates and it's hard to keep track, but we've got these three, Pfizer, Moderna, AstraZeneca. Who's next? Is it, is it Johnson & Johnson? Well, Johnson & Johnson, Novavax, Sanofi, they all still have vaccines in trial, and I hope that by the springtime, we have even more vaccines available. As I say, we need all the help we can get to vaccinate that many people just in the U.S., never mind around the world. But I was going to say, I mean, is it a kind of thing where we're going to have a situation in, I don't know, eight or nine months where you maybe go to your doctor and is it kind of like Baskin Robbins? You've got 31 different flavors to choose, to choose from. <laughs> you which be one is closest yeah. and fastest. <laughs> which vaccine do you get? <laughs> right, the vanilla or the chocolate. Ah. <laughs> uh, it, it may well be that some providers actually have more than one vaccine, but certainly in the first several months, 
most providers will have only one vaccine type that they can give you. So uh, it's like Henry Ford. You can have any color you want as long as it's black. (laughs) (laughs) By the time it's more widespread, is that when you may see the one that's better for you or you over there or that person as opposed to the healthcare workers, you know, front lines? You take the first one that you can get. Well, we may well find that some of these vaccines work better in some populations than others, and that will be communicated very, very clearly. And those folks, the folks for whom it works better, will be directed to those specific providers. The committee will look at that very, very carefully. Dr. William Schaffner there, professor, preventative medicine, infectious diseases, Vanderbilt University School of Medicine. Doctor. Thanks for coming back on the show. A treatment for COVID-19 that we've talked about a few times in this show might play a major role in saving lives. The FDA has just issued an emergency use authorization for Regeneron's monoclonal antibodies. Now, it's the third emergency use authorization issued by the FDA to treat people with this virus. With us is Dr. Thomas Yadigar, medical director of the intensive care unit at Providence Cedar sinai Medical Center in Tarzana, and Peter Chin Hong, infectious disease specialist at UC San Francisco. So, Dr. Yadigar, let's start with you. I think what people want to know, because it's going to be still a while until vaccines are available and most people get it, so I think people want to know, if I get COVID and I have a serious case of COVID, Do we have enough stuff now in our arsenal to at least give a fighting chance not to die from it? Yes, uh, currently uh, we have a few different medications available, and uh, having the Regeneron uh, monoclonal antibodies receive uh, emergency use authorization gives us another tool in the armamentarium. This medication, though, however, is not for treatment of hospitalized patients. Um, we need to treat patients um, that are outpatients and have high chances of uh, becoming hospitalized and to treat them as early as possible. So, Dr. Chin Hong, who do you give it to and uh, when do you try and give it? Yeah, so that's the million-dollar question. So I think most people are thinking uh, elderly patients, patients with comorbidities, uh, may, may, maybe immunosuppressed patients, but not in the average patient, uh, particularly given the limited supply that we'll have of the medications. Also, you know, you need to do some sort of gymnastics to get people in, get the test result back in time, because you have this window period of three days on average before, and and again, uh, not hospitalized, not on oxygen. So, Dr. Yadigar, back to you. How do you do that? Because uh, somebody comes down with, you know, they get some sniffles. They think, oh, do I have COVID? Maybe it takes them a day or two to make an appointment to get a test somewhere. Then maybe it takes them another couple of days to get a result from somewhere. How do you get people in that very short window uh, to get treated with, say, monoclonal antibodies if it's for them? Uh, It's definitely challenging. Right now in our hospital, we're trying to figure out the logistics of bringing a COVID-19 patient into the hospital who doesn't need hospitalization to keep them um, you know, safe and away from other healthy patients so that we don't spread it, obviously, throughout the hospital, but also to uh, the caregivers. Uh, but I think uh, most importantly, as you see the lines uh, in Dodger Stadium and other places where it's taking hours and hours and it takes days and days for the results to come back, we need to have a faster uh, testing and faster results because, again, time is of essence and, and uh, treatment needs to be given as soon as possible, preferably within three days of uh, symptom presentation. Do you have hope that we'll get there? I mean, that seems like a, a reach from where we are right now, honestly. 
It, it definitely is, but um, you know, I'm an eternal optimist. And if you asked me in March and April, are we going to have vaccines by the end of the year? I would have said I, I don't see how that's possible. But you know, here we are. So I think, uh, you know, I think for the time being, we just need to be vigilant and continue to maintain social distancing, uh, wear our masks, and keep uh, within our household to continue to keep the transmission down. And uh, hopefully within the next few weeks, you know, every hospital will figure out a way of getting the uh, therapy and giving it to patients as as soon as possible. Uh, Dr. Peter Chen Hong, this this may be a difficult question, maybe impossible to answer, but I'll ask it anyway. Um, How would you rate the ability now to deal with COVID patients uh, who show up at a hospital's front door or emergency room compared to where we were back in in March? Well, I think um, we've done a lot since March, and we don't only have a list of drugs in the toolkit, but we know and we have more information about the sequencing of drugs and when to use different combinations at different points in the trajectory of patients' uh, arc of illness. So I think, and not only medicines, you know, we've learned a lot about critical care and, and all of that, but above all, if we have a surge I think a lot of that goes out of the window, unfortunately, because you'll be struggling to just deal with numbers. So I, I think if we have things you know, uh, in check and we can manage patients, we can do quite well and, and, and really prevent a lot of people from dying. Dr. Peter Chin Hong, infectious disease specialist, UC San Francisco. Dr. Thomas Yadigar, medical director, intensive care at Providence Cedar sinai in Tarzana. Thanks to you both. With one of the busiest holidays fast approaching here in the United States, millions of Americans are expected to ignore the pleas from health officials and travel or have a Thanksgiving gathering. If you have to see your mom or have your kids fly home for the holiday, one expert recommends stuffing your turkey, but not your table. WBBM's Cisco Cotto spoke with Dr. Chris Colbert, ER Doctor, Assistant Program Director of the Emergency Medicine Residency Program at the University of Illinois, Chicago. I mean, a lot of people are going to travel. They're, they're sort of ignoring the warning and taking the chance. Uh, before we get into what things are looking like in the ERs these days, uh, what do you say to those people? What sort of advice do you have? So my recommendation is always to individuals, and, and that's a common conversation that patients have had this weekend coming up is that patients literally just stated, hey, doc, I've got to see my mother. Hey, doc, I'm going to see my children. What can we do to be safe? So there are some recommendations that we communicate for those individuals who will have additional friends and family come over. The biggest thing is space, space, space. Um, if It's always good to stuff the turkey, but you don't want to stuff the table. Um, space the tables apart. Don't have eight people on one table. Have three people at one table and have your tables in different rooms. Possibly have uh, tables in the garage or weather permits outside. You want to create as much space as possible. And remember, remember, remember that college students are healthy, 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 atypical carriers. <laughs> it's yeah. extremely important. And be mindful of that when they come home because it's, the, it's, a, it's a beautiful storm where the college children come back and the first thing they want to do is sit and hug grandmother, grandfather, and uncle. And those are the at-risk populations. So just be mindful of that. And if you do have people over and from different areas, honestly, keep a mask on in the house as well. You want to decrease exposure and contact. So let's, uh, I mean, how are things going in the ERs these days? Uh, uh, 
Uh, it's it's picked up. I, I can't even <laughs> minimize this. I can't. It, it's picked up. Uh, a lot of ERs, in fact, are in hospitals are, are even canceling elective surgeries uh, just because the numbers are picking up. And, again, um, you don't want to beat a dead horse or just be extremely negative. This is something we can all work to mitigate. It's just by wearing a mask. And wearing a mask does, in fact, help. And, um, again, if you're going to celebrate during Thanksgiving, make sure you maintain a lot of space as well. And that will significantly decrease the opportunity for the spread of coronavirus. Millions of Americans who have lost work are set to lose more in just a month. Unemployment benefits under the CARES Act will expire on the 26th of December. So why can't the federal government get another CARES Act done? David Fiorenza, associate professor of practice at the Villanova School of Business, was with KYW's Matt Leon, broke down the biggest questions about the economy as we approach Thanksgiving here in the U.S. And when we talk about these claims, the numbers we throw out are just the first-time claims. Now, there's millions of Americans who have been taking advantage of some provisions in the CARES Act. I think this is a lot of your gig workers and stuff like that. Uh, But those benefits run out at the end of the year, and it really doesn't seem like there is a lot of momentum to put another CARES Act out there. Are we not giving enough credence to what this could look like if the bottom falls out and all these things are allowed to expire at the end of the year? Well, from what I can see... The way I look at it is people went from $600 a week to 200 to 100 to nothing. And that's sort of scary. Uh, when we take a look at it, I don't know how our legislatures would uh, feel about us not paying our taxes and saying, well, guys and ladies, um, since you're not doing a CARES Act, we don't have any money to give you for your salaries. And not that I want to take away anybody's salaries in the legislature. I guess my point is that there's a lot of freelance people, like you said, a lot of gig workers in the millions. And these people need money. As we talked off the air, uh, we're talking about a CARES Act. We're not talking about giving out money for the next 20 years. We're talking about just twice in this calendar year, and then hopefully things will get back to normal mid-year 2021. Saw something interesting. We've talked a lot, and I know you've been really happy with what the Federal Reserve, specifically Fed Chair Jerome Powell, has done, kind of throwing everything against the wall early in this and being aggressive. But I kind of I read that the Treasury Secretary, Steve Mnuchin, is putting a lot of these either ending them or trying to end a lot of these emergency lending programs. Is there something I'm missing here? Doesn't seem to make a lot of sense when things are still this bad. No, you're not missing anything here. Uh, For someone like myself who makes a living out of lecturing, I'm at a loss for words, Matt. But seriously, these programs, we're talking approximately $400 billion that will not be uh, filtered out to the states and to the counties. Some of it is politics. Some of it is that the Treasury Department is saying, well, there's there's enough money still out there. Uh, The counties have them, the states have them, and they haven't yet put them into the hands of the local governments for whatever reason. The reason is maybe they're waiting to see how how the public schools end up. Maybe they're waiting to see how how the state budgets end up or the local cities' budgets end up. So, they have to come to some kind of agreement. If they end the CARES Act, where else are we going to get money from? 
New York's Rockefeller Center ice skating rink has opened for business, but like pretty much everything in our lives right now, there are some changes. Of course, you know, all skaters must wear face masks, and you can't hang out on the uh, rink all day. Skate time is now limited to just 50 minutes, and while you're there, you can check out the Rockefeller Center Christmas tree in a few days. The tree lighting scheduled for December the 2nd. You can find us on the Radio.com app, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and stitch.